In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos scouting report for week six of the Argos season. And we've got a rematch with Hamilton this week. So I have brought back the CFL on TSN's Marshall Ferguson. Marshall, how are you doing? And thanks for joining me again. It's good to be back. Uh, I want to say disclaimer for anybody watching on YouTube here on the X's and Argos scouting report. that This is not a Calgary Stampeders logo. Okay. On my shirt, I, I understand I'm going against league branding with a little Nike logo here. Nothing new era. This is the Burlington Stampeders, okay? This is this is junior football that we're repping here today. So try to find something that was a little bit in between Toronto and Hamilton for the second conversation. That's pretty good, and and that'll work. And between that and my red, I'm sure people were wondering right off the bat, you know, what am, what am I watching here? Uh, but uh, I think we're all good. So first of all, what did, you, what did you think of the game? Like, what was your takeaway from that Labor Day game? It was It was kind of a weird one. It was. And it was funny. You know, I, I had a friend who was sitting in the stands, uh, said it was a great environment, by the way. And I know that there were some things that happened in Winnipeg, Saskatchewan. And I know that there were Argo sucks chants going out like always. But it seemed like the environment in Hamilton, people were really genuinely happy to have CFL football back in the stands, which is why my first takeaway is a bit of a weird one for a weird game. As you said, that first quarter, Ben, did it even happen? Like the first, the first quarter of the game, I, I blinked and it was over. And I went, I actually had the thought, man, I, I kind of feel bad for people that bought tickets to this game. Cause I thought if you're sitting there in person and uh, you know, I'm cheap because I'm Scottish. So I'm constantly evaluating everything down to pennies and whatnot, where I'm going, well, you know, I, I paid this amount of money for this and it's worth this much, or I watch Netflix, but I, I don't watch it quite as much as Crave. So maybe we should get rid of Crave. Maybe we should. And it's like, I'm constantly assessing the cost of things and the value of your game. And I thought, you bought a ticket to that, looking at it and saying to yourself, the first quarter's gone and I feel like it never happened. And I always feel bad for people when that happens. Usually the karma of a CFL game, if a first quarter flies by, the fourth quarter drags. You know, like there's this push-pull relationship that you get where usually you end up getting to 150 snaps, both offenses run around 60 plays, the special teams run about 30. Like you, you get these splits. But my first takeaway was just, I can't believe how quick it felt. And, and that I'm not sure I was really anticipating because for that to happen, I thought, well, it'd just be the Argos running all over the tight cats of the defensive line. And it would just be a short game with a, a lot of clock burning. And it was not the case. They both threw the football and it still flew by. Yeah, at the end of the first half, I know like the first half was over in like an hour. And I remember thinking, and this is, I think maybe that uh, the, the the broadcaster in me was thinking, man, they better be getting some material ready because they may have an hour to kill before that four o'clock game. But uh, it, it evened out, like you said, that second half, um, you know, it's the pace slowed down a little bit. And just to comment on the thing that you mm-hmm. were saying, it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine who is a diehard Hamilton Tiger Cats fan. And I know I'm not sure how I am friends with a diehard Hamilton Tiger Cats fan, but that's, uh, you know, that's the way it was. And he was saying, he was talking to people on the way into the stadium and normally they talked about how much they hate the Argos, how evil the Argos are, everything else. And it wasn't like that for this game. They were just so happy to be watching CFL football that there wasn't that usual hatred and animosity that we normally feel. It was there sort of more in a joking way, but it, it wasn't, 
It's yep. certainly aggressive. And I know there have been incidents around the league. And uh, hopefully we can see more games like that Hamilton game where it's there in good fun. And I know we had a lot of Argos fans uh, that uh, that follow us on Twitter and communicate with us on Twitter that said it was actually a really nice environment. They were sort of jokingly booed a little bit, but there was nothing aggressive. Yeah. So I'm really happy to hear stuff like that. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I think that, you know, there's there's an infinite amount of negatives that have come out of COVID-19. I, we all know that and to the league and to people and personal lives and family members and work being affected. And I mean, hell, our radio station shut down. I mean, like I've been directly affected by COVID stuff that has affected the business of broadcasting, but trying to look on the bright side, trying to find the positives. And there are a lot of them, I think, that are starting to come out once we're kind of working our way back towards, I'm not even going to call it normalcy. I kind of hate when people do that because nothing's normal. It's never going to be normal again, but you're starting to see people appreciate the little things a little bit more. I wrote the article on CFL.ca about that, where I said, listen, Labor Day has got this magic about it and you don't have to understand it, right? You don't have to care that, oh, it's Labor Day. And it's, yeah, whatever. These two teams play three more times this year between Toronto and Hamilton. That doesn't mean you can't love this day more than any other and continue to celebrate the game. And in terms of the general tenor of the crowd, again, I wasn't there, but your friend said it. My friend said it. I was kind of living vicariously through him. It was like the tailgate was friendlier than it's ever been before. And it's never really bad in Hamilton. Like, I think there's this whole like steel town. Everybody's wearing black, scary, you know, all these flags. And no, those are good people, man. Like those are good fans that love football and are passionate about it. Yeah. They'll rib you once in a while because they want to have their fun. But the tailgate from what my friend said was people genuinely seemed so thrilled to be back in that setting. Something that felt like before COVID hit and even getting into the stands, like it, it took a long time from what I had heard uh, from various people and nobody really cared. Like how many tweets did you see coming out, Ben, that said, I can't believe how long it's taking to get inside the stadium. And this is ridiculous. And proof of vaccination, that stuff might've been out there, but I didn't see any of it. And I, I just feel like in the stands, it felt like a bit of a celebration. Of course it helped, you know, the snowbirds are there and it's incredible weather and it's the kids are going back to school some places we think, but you're getting this vibe of, there were a lot of reasons why people were happy to be there, but just like Labor Day, nobody could really put their finger on it. People were just happy to be sitting in stands in a stadium that they've missed for the last year and a half. Yeah, it was. And I think like surreal is a word that I heard a lot. I think Carmelo said that on on uh, on your show as well. I just felt there's something just like, is this happening? Am I actually yeah. at, sitting in a, at a stadium at a football game? And, and it's, uh, it, I, I think that was, it, it, there was this sort of euphoria at being able to do something that felt like, you know, the good old days uh, before we were, yes. um, you know, affected by COVID. And, and I think that- <laughs> Shackled. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so that, that was sort of overriding any, any hatred, any inconvenience, any feeling of waiting in lines, whatever else. It's just like, let's just be happy we're here and we're watching Canadian football. So I think that was yeah. all really good. All right, let's get to the game. So yes, um, takeaways, for, like I know Argoland was was in full panic mode on Twitter following the game. There are all these questions, but what's wrong with the defensive line? How come we're, you know, and it, I didn't feel like that in the game. It didn't feel dire to me. I I've saw a few mistakes, but... If you look at the yardage, it's pretty much the same. Hamilton and Toronto both had just about the same amount of yardage. They both scored two touchdowns offensively. There was the defensive uh, pick six and and the punt return touchdown. Sure, a lot of the Toronto yards came in in what we might call garbage time, but I just didn't think it was that lopsided, even though the score clearly got out of hand at some points in the fourth quarter. Is, is that how you took the game in too, or did you see it differently? 
I think that it was uh, a typical case of Labor Day matchups and rematches and all this. Really, anytime Toronto and Hamilton play, where very rarely is it, well, one team was consistently better than the other, and that's why they won by a bunch of points. It's It usually comes down to a couple of backbreaking moments. And to me, that was the punt return from Frankie Williams, where it just it feels like the game is, yeah, it's a little bit of a Hamilton momentum side, but there, there's still lots of room to grow for Toronto in the game. And maybe they haven't found their footing, but all it's going to take is a drive or two to get them back and feel like they are threatening once again and it, it i mean that once that pump return goes you're just like all right well i get like that's kind of took the air out of the balloon i think a little bit from toronto and you know being able to see the way that that toronto tried to start off the game i really think from the word go they were a little bit demoralized because hamilton played with a lot more energy defensively than they have throughout the season even in the victory against montreal like carrie brooks flying around tunde adelke in on every play javon santos knox was in on a lot of stuff uh ted Laron, uh, mason bennett being able to get his first sack in the cfl up front like it was just there were a lot of things happening with that defensive group for hamilton that i think took toronto out of their game plan the reason i say that is they came out and essentially it was start the game you know run run penalty run and then you're getting stacked and stuffed every time you try to run and they just okay let's go to the air interception and as soon as you can't run in the first parts of the game and establish the tone that you did against winnipeg in week number three then you start to go okay well let's start to sling it around the ballpark and to nick arbuckle's credit like something i wanted to hit on in this interview was i think argos fans should see this evolution that's happening with nick arbuckle and realize that there's actually a really bright future here and that might not feel like that coming out of labor day the way that the game felt and all oh, he was ineffective and but where he's targeting how he's pushing the ball a little bit more vertically how he's learning to use different parts of the field with his targets. He's seeing more of the field, it feels like, than he did in Calgary, where it was a little bit narrow between the hashes, under 15 yards. Now he's throwing into windows. Now he's being able to manipulate people with his eyes a little bit more from what I'm seeing. And I think that that gives a bright future. So, yeah, it was there were some big plays that kind of broke the back, but I didn't view this as an overwhelming win for Hamilton. And it's not that they didn't put it up on the scoreboard and get to sing and dance and hoot and holler and everything for the entire fourth quarter, essentially, because they did. But it's the process. It's how they got there. It was four or five big plays, like you say, Simone getting into the end zone, Frankie Williams getting into the end zone, uh, having Tim White break your your backside going into the the end zone as well. Like those three plays. Again, I'm not saying you know you take away the three biggest plays, the game's all even. Well, obviously, great analysis, Marshall. But what I am saying is Toronto, if they clean up some of that stuff. It's a much closer game, I think. And, and Arbuckle was not nearly as bad as I've seen people assess him as being. I think anytime a backup quarterback goes in because the score is a little out of hand in the fourth quarter, we just assume, well, he had an awful day. I don't think he was that bad, man. There were things that happened around him, receivers falling down at inopportune moments. I think there was you know, a couple of drops here and there. The protection wasn't great at times. They ended up having Philip Blake get dinged. You got to move the Castro into side. I mean, it's they were kind of all over the place and piecing it together on offense. And if they can actually establish the run a little bit, if they can actually get some more accuracy down the field on those throws that they're actually taking now, I think that you will see this game be much, much closer in the rematch. I couldn't believe how people were jumping on Arbuckle. Like there, there were questions even at the press conference today, like who's going to start a quarterback this week? To me, that was never even like I, I, I was, I was floored at that because, to me, like Arbuckle at the end of the first half was eleven for fifteen, and he had yep. a pick, but it's because Eric Rodgers fell down. 
on, on the route. Yes. And that was where the interception happened. I, he had a good first half. Now, his second half wasn't great, but they were down several touchdowns. So they had to press and they had to go to things that he's not as comfortable doing. Arbuckle, you know, has, you know, like everybody has a skill set. And they had to kind of push a little bit and it wasn't necessarily playing into his strengths. But I also want to give credit to uh, Hamilton's play calling. Like the, I, I thought the play calling was, I'm, I'm sure there was a little bit of luck sometimes too, where you have the perfect play called at the perfect time. But right. I'm sure a lot of it is film study and just being familiar with what they were going to see. And there were some beautiful calls. That Simone Lawrence interception return. I don't know. Do we call it that when it's two yards? But uh, the the uh, that, that return touchdown. It was, it was a that was an amazing play call for the situation. Just kind of going through what Arbuckle was seeing on that play. So they ended up. So Adelike is rushing the passer. Lawrence is coming. They both end up coming around the side. John White's got to pick both of them up. Um, and then there's a, a side adjustment that Daniels has got. He's got to, you know, sort of quick, take a quick slant into that space that's been vacated by Simone Lawrence blitzing. But when Arbuckle goes to throw it there, who's there but Mason Bennett has actually dropped into that spot, anticipating that's exactly where that, that hot score or that side adjustment's going to be. And so yeah. that's why you end up with the double clutch because he's like, Mason Bennett, what? <laughs> and, and then he, you know, eventually tries to throw it away and it gets, gets tipped um and uh, and that was it but it just it seemed like every time the Argos had something it was the perfect play call whether it was just a simple cover three or or what have you the place that Arbuckle was looking to go it just wasn't there so yeah yeah you know what it honestly reminded me of just in terms of like feeling your opponent always has the perfect call on or is making the perfect adjustment in order to counter what you're doing when i was in a university going into university i was on a recruiting trip to laurier there was a running back there named mike montoya at the time and he worked at vault which is a big bar in kitchener waterloo and he said to me when he came home from working at the bar that night you know I, he had 300 in his pocket from all the tips and all the people that were paying him to get in past the door and stuff i'm sure and he said, I'll play in a game of Madden. I was like, all right, sure. He goes, 300 to one odds that I'll beat you. Or 30 to one odds, I should say, I'll beat you. So we laid down $300 in cash on the table. And I'm there from high school. I'm like, that's a year's worth of money to a high school kid, right? So I'm like, sure, here's 10 bucks. I laid down on the table. He played as Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush with the New Orleans Saints. And because he was a running back, all he did was run on me. Like, and, and I would sit back up, like, cover one, cover one, cover one, cover three, cover three. And then after about 15 plays, when you're playing a video game, you just get fed up because you're like, why is this guy playing the video game like it's an actual football game and just grinding away on the yard, you know, yardage four yards at a time on me? I'm like, I'm engaging. I'm going to blitz everybody. I probably blitzed him three times the entire time we played that Madden game. Each of those three times he went play action. It was the only time he went play action and he threw touchdowns over my head. He beat me like 50 to nothing, Ben, and he took my $10. So that's kind of what this game felt like to me was there's always an opportunity for you to make plays and Toronto was close, but Hamilton just had the right call on. Like whether they fell face first into it, whether it was the pregame scouting, whether it was adjustments in game, they had an answer to pretty much everything that Toronto threw at them in this game. And before we actually move on, I'm going to, for people that are watching on uh, YouTube, actually, you would have to allow me to uh, to share my screen here for a second, because I do want to show people just when I'm talking about Arbuckle, and those of you that are listening, will just explain it to you kind of what we're looking at. But when you end up seeing uh, the way that Nick Arbuckle approached this game compared to some of his other games, I think it will open Argos fans to the fact that he is evolving and he is getting an opportunity now 
to show what he's really about. And I think this is an intriguing kind of evolution of him throughout the season this year. So if you're watching on YouTube again, it's uh, Arbuckle over on the side here. I'll just single it out so you can see it. And yeah, there's there's your red incompletions to deep shot down the sideline. And yeah, there's the interception that was thrown over on the left sideline that was intended for Eric Rodgers that Carol Brooks picked off. And yeah, there's the Simone interception. But to see this kind of like pyramid shape where you're challenging down the middle of the field, to put it in context, Hamilton went the first three games of the season without completing a pass in between the hashes beyond six yards down the field. Like that's an essential part of the field if you're going to end up winning football games is taking those shots and being able to complete them. And he did. He had a touchdown in the middle of the end zone there that went to Eric Rodgers that we know ugly, albeit, where he had to settle down in between all sorts of mess and jump ball and all that. And he had a deep completion down the middle of the field. So like to me, you see that and you think, okay, that that's an evolution because for people that don't know, Nick Arbuckle's target chart used to be everything under 10 yards and it used to all be squeezed in between the hash marks or maybe just outside the hash marks because there was a lot of little slip screen throws and bubble screens and like he's actually pushing the edges of the field a little bit more now and he's also working the intermediate throws I think at a higher level and just to throw it in here because I do have the screen up I'll show you Dane Evans dude's a gunslinger uh guy just I mean the targets that are beyond 20-25 yards down the field three of seven, right? But one of them goes for the big touchdown, Tim White. And then other than that, he's working these clusters in the screen game, in the quick game, throwing lots of curls. He's throwing lots of little crossing routes into the the short side of the field when he's on the right hash. So um, there's a lot of things there that I think are, are of interest for people in terms of seeing, okay, what is there that's hopeful about this going forward? And to me, I just circle his evolution because he couldn't go to Toronto and stay the same player he was in Calgary. And he's not. Dinwiddie, is evolving with Arbuckle. And I think that's going to continue throughout the year. So just have some patience with that because I really do see it happening in front of us. So this week, there's not going to be a ton of time for adjustments. That's, you know, with only really, uh, you know, a couple of days practice. And like today, the Argos basically just had a walkthrough and it's a similar plan for tomorrow. It's a lot of of mental installation, I think, that's going to be happening. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a lot of guys banged up. I imagine that uh, guys were getting treatment uh, probably all week this week. It's going to be like that for both teams. It was a really physical game, and you double that because it's the short week. Uh, any concerns from Hamilton's side? Like, are, do you think there's anyone that uh, you're, you're not sure? Are we, are we going to see them out there? What, what, what are you thinking in that uh, in that regard? I think they got out of it fairly clean for the most part. Like it's, it could have been a lot worse. I, I mean, obviously speedy getting blown up by Tristan Deku over the middle was, that was a little scary, right? Cause it, it, thankfully it looked like it was the win. It looked like it could have been rib. It looked like it could have been whatever was ailing speedy in his midsection the first couple of weeks of the season, but didn't really seem to have much of that afterwards. It didn't seem to bother him too much on the offensive line. I mean, I think there's a couple of guys that are dinged, but Hey, what else is new, right? An offensive line, you're always going to have a little bit of something going on. So, I mean, they're, they're patching it together in a variety of places right now, but coming out of that game, I, I don't see anything glaring where we're going to get to the rematch on Friday night. And you're going to say, you know, this guy is, uh, is out and nobody saw it coming kind of thing, or he's a scratch and nobody saw it coming. I think the roster is going to be probably 95% the same, which honestly, when you're coming into a game on four days rest, that's a massive blessing and advantage because if you can do that, you can have whatever amount of continuity and understanding of the team you're playing against carry over. And it's so much smoother once you get into the game and you, you look at the guy next to you and you know, Hey man, we were here five days ago and we were playing against the same team. And now we're back on the football field and we feel like we know what we're looking at. But uh, yeah, I think they will be okay in terms of the injury side. 
I'm a little more concerned about Toronto. Uh, Philip Lake, uh, his status, I'm a little worried about. He's just, he's yeah. had such bad luck this year. It just seems like every game, it's something different. It's not like it's the same, you know, oh, it's the back again, or oh, it's the shoulder, or it's it, every game is something new that, and there's only so many injuries you can take. It's, it's such a physical position. So I'm a little worried about him. I'm not sure about Kresden Butler. And, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big loss too. That secondary has seen so many, Players you, like like Deku, who's playing great, uh, Jamal Peters, who's playing great. Those guys weren't even supposed to be on the field, and so you you know you had uh, injuries to uh, Cahoon, you had uh, injury to Robertson Daniel, and now you know Kresden Butler. Uh, the, that secondary's played great, but again, it's just one of those things. Like how many pieces can we lose before there's there starts to uh, it starts to show up a little bit. And, you know, with Philip Lake, I think that's a concern. And with, with the secondary, that is a concern as well. But hopefully, it's mostly just, you know, you know, guys uh, dealing with with pain because that's just part of playing yeah. football and part of recovery, but not something that they, they can't overcome. Now, were you at Mac Marshall, were you an ice tub guy or a hot tub guy? Yes. No, I, I'm still an ice tub guy to this day. I, I love it. I think it's one of the best things that you can do for your body. I got addicted to it when I was actually training in high school, a place that I was working out at was called Fine Line Performance in Kingston, Ontario. And they they set me up, uh, me and my buddy. It was basically, there was a physio clinic that was above the gym that we worked out at and they had contrast baths. So it was hot tub and cold tub, right? Side by side. And we'd spend five minutes in one, five minutes in the other, five minutes in one, five minutes in the other. And we just jumped back and forth. And because we were idiots, you know, we thought it was this fun game of, you know, who can go up to their neck in the ice tub and, oh, wow, I feel my heart rate dropping. It's like, mm, yeah, maybe that's a bad idea. But yeah, I still, I love the benefits of it. And I think now it's the fact that I'm, I'm you know, getting older, I'm aging a little bit. And so when I run, you know, my calf feels like it's going to explode half the time when I go for a run in my right leg and I still dive in there. I, I got the the massage guns and I got the rollers and I, I got all that stuff, man. I, I, I act like I should be playing still because of my recovery, but the, uh, the actual on-field stuff is well, well gone. The, the ice is always the way to go, but I always feel like there was a huge divide in the locker room between, you know, guys that swear by ice and guys that just won't go anywhere near, near the ice. Oh tunnel. yeah. Yeah. People, so, some people absolutely despise it, but for me, I don't know, maybe it's like the, you know, the Scottish Swedish background uh, that's in me where it's, I, I always love seeing people like even, you know, uh, Olympic athletes that are training from Scandinavia where at home, they'll just dive into a lake. Yeah. You know, like I love that primal sense of like, this is what's right for my body. It's right in front of me. Cold water is good. It reduces inflammation. It makes me feel great when I get feeling back in my legs after being in 55 degree water. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I'm sure that there will, uh, there will have been a lot of ice used up in both of the training rooms this week. And you feel brand new. It's the best thing. Like, yes, there's oh, yeah. a couple painful minutes, but when you get out, you just feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm new again. I'm ready to go. Yeah. So uh, into the game now. Uh, so this week's game, it's it's at BMO now. So it's a little bit different. We got a change of surface for one, a change of environment, and that does matter. There's a pretty big uh, difference between playing in, in Hamilton, playing in Toronto. So how are you thinking this game is going to go? Again, short turnaround. We don't know how much new stuff we're going to see. Probably not a ton. There'll be little wrinkles here and there. Uh, how do you feel like this game is going to go? Yeah, I think the one thing that I have my eye on that I'm kind of noticing as a trend for Hamilton to the all packages that are used by teams and something that's jumping out to me with Hamilton that I'm interested to see how Toronto adjusts to it or if they decide to do something a little bit different 
uh, this time around is when Nikola Kalinic is taking a lot of snaps in the game, how do they match that? Because they're not just using him to chip defensive ends. He's actually getting involved in the offense a little so, you know, he had a touchdown in the game against Montreal, I believe, and he's getting a couple of targets here and there. They're trying to run the ball. I, I think Sean Thomas or Ellington is still such more an effective back than Don Jackson is at this point. And Kalinic seems to be able to block for Thomas Ellington a little bit better, too, because he understands where he wants to go. There's just this natural vibe between those two guys. But the reason that I bring him up is... Hamilton still doesn't even have Jake Burt, their first overall pick, who's a big body hybrid guy, smaller than Klinich, but not by much, and can run. And they're leading the league right now using four receivers, one fullback, one running back as their formation. Ben, they're in that formation. And again, without context, I understand this doesn't seem like much, but they are in four receivers, one fullback, one running back, 43% of their snaps thus far this year. To have a fullback on the field for almost half your snaps in a season is kind of crazy in the CFL. That's You haven't seen that probably since Calvin McCarty with Edmonton with Ricky Ray. I mean, it's it's been a while since you've had a fullback that's consistently that much on. Now, Rob Cote and Calgary, sure. But to put it in perspective, like Toronto is on the field in that percentage of snaps like 10% of the time. Well, Hamilton's leading the league at 43%. That's 21% above the league average. So... If they're going to be that heavy with that formation, if they're going to use that personnel this much, how are teams going to adjust, especially in a short turnaround where you're watching the film and realizing, okay, when they're in this personnel, when they line up in this formation with the personnel, here's what they like to run. And I think that's going to be the kind of interesting chess match in this is when Hamilton puts Clinch in the game and it's second and three, how much does Toronto key off of him and run blitz and try and shut things down? And how willing is Hamilton to take the risky second and three play action touchdown shot where a clinch crosses the formation. You go to Sean Thomas Erlington, you take a deep drop and off your back foot. Dane Evans is throwing a skinny post to Brandon Banks. Like that to me, there's going to be a moment in this rematch where that's going to be a conversation of should they have taken the shot or did they take the shot or how heavy did Toronto lean in when they saw Kalinich in that cross ball motion that they like to run with him. So um, yeah, that to me, I have that as, as kind of an interesting point in terms of the way the game plays out. I think it's going to be very similar. It'll be a couple of big plays. I think Toronto would like to be able to run the ball a little bit more, control some more of the clock. But Arbuckle is going to be a high percentage thrower. And Dane Evans showed that he can go on the road in Montreal in week three and have success. So I expect nothing less for him. It might have been week four, actually. But I expect nothing less for him uh, going into Toronto. I think he'll enjoy that environment. And Toronto's got their work cut out for them. But I think they're up to it. So I, I, I'm waiting to see, because I thought we might see this last week, uh, when Coach Dinwiddie was in Calgary, that offense did such a good job of setting up the opposition for failure week to week. They basically used their own film study against them is something I keep, you know, I like to say, where you'd see something again and again, and you say, well, this is a tendency we can, we can key on. And then, of course, they, they know this, and you see, you get that same look, that same action, and then suddenly the ball is going the other way, or it's play action out of it, or whatever. And there's so many things that I've been jotting down in, in my notes in each game that Toronto plays, and we're like, oh, okay, well, I, I guess we'll be seeing this soon, and yet we haven't. And at some point, they're going to come out, and I feel like there were a bunch in that Hamilton game where they were setting up some of these tendencies, and now Hamilton in this quick week, 
they're going through film study, maybe now is the time to take advantage. And you notice there was a lot of short stuff. There was, you know, you saw on yeah. your on your chart. Yes, it did expand out, but there's a lot of stuff down low. I know Coach Dinwiddie's a fan of double moves, and and we may see some of that this week. So I'm looking for a few of those big plays where it looks like one thing, it's something else. They've thrown that jailbreak screen a billion times. I'm waiting for something <laughs> out of that. Uh, we started calling it the Ricky Collins Jr. screen, but uh, but then of course they had. I think Gittins Jr. was running it last week. But, yeah. Um, I, I'm actually interested to see them run that uh, at some point to your, to your point here about double moves and taking a shot and trying to open up the, the, the game. Like, obviously, they hit on one of those double moves with Devaris Daniels in the game at home, the home opener, right, against Winnipeg that you and I were both at. But when they run that, you know, lining up in the pistol, take the snap, show run to the field, and then Arbuckle has this great ability to flip his hips back into the boundary and throw that slant. And that's also when Devaris Daniels got killed by Brandon Alexander coming down to start the second half in that week three game. But like I'm waiting for them at some point to either, you know, show that over to the field, flip it back and have a sluggo or to have, you know, a little stuttering go or whatever it's going to be, because there's no way, Ben, you know, this is somebody who loves X's and, and O's and loves football. There's no way that they've designed that the entire year with the idea of, well, we're only ever going to throw the slant. Like, that's it. That's the whole... No, they've built extensions off of that. Like you're saying, though, they just haven't used them yet. So maybe this is the week because they got to find a way to get a win here. Yeah, and playing Hamilton four times, you don't want to spill all your candies in the lobby in game one. So I do think we're going to see some of that this week. But again, you can't empty the entire bag, but it's a pretty important win for for the Toronto coming up this week, I think, because they, they travel to Saskatchewan next and you just don't want to yeah. end up in a situation where suddenly you're, you're you know, down with Ottawa near the bottom, uh, looking up at everyone else, especially knowing that Montreal is getting away with a, a little bit of an easier schedule. And so, you know, they're, they're going to put up numbers by the end in terms of wins. I had no idea how often they played Ottawa. Derek Taylor, Derek Taylor told me that the other day and I was like, how is that a thing? I understand that you can't look at a team and project how good they're going to be and then change the schedule based off that. But I'm like, that is a serious competitive advantage. <laughs> like in a, in a league where I think there's eight really solid competitive teams right now and one that's going to struggle consistently. If you're playing the team that is struggling consistently more than everybody else, that it's going to help your record. Like that might end up pushing Montreal towards the two seed in the East at this point, And then either a Hamilton or a Toronto down into the three and, and having to play, you know, on the road both times through or something like that. So it is crazy the way that this is kind of shaking out as we're about a third of the way through the season. Yeah, it, it's weird, but uh, it just makes those those Toronto Montreal and and Hamilton Montreal games that much more exciting and more important. So yeah, uh, we'll we'll I guess that's the the bright side of the way to look at it uh, from an Argos or Ticats point of view. So for predictions this week, I'm I'm sticking with Argos win. I feel like one of these days I'll I'll hit on on one of my predictions. <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually thinking this is going to be a really tight down to the wire 23-22 is where I'm going with this one. Mm. I don't know if it's a last second field goal hit or miss, but I'm feeling a 23-22 Argos victory. Where are you going this week, Marshall? I'm torn because I feel like Dane Evans played at, at such a high level, really in the, in the third quarter specifically for Hamilton, that if he can carry that over, I don't think it'll matter that it's on the road or anything else. I think I, I feel like Toronto has it in them to battle back in to be fueled by playing at home, to enjoy playing on the grass. They look like a different team, Ben, in week three against Winnipeg. Like when you saw them play in the first time they had a back-to-back, Winnipeg week two, they just get bludgeoned. Week three, they come home, look like completely different. Well, it wasn't necessarily a bludgeoning, but certainly felt similar to that game in Winnipeg in week two, what they just did in week five. So can they come home in week six and redo the script from what they felt? But I mean, it's, 
I, I feel like they have the potential to. I think Arbuckle gets back on track. I think they hit a couple of those double moves and they score some points. But I do think that Dane Evans is showing right now through Montreal, Labor Day against Toronto, and then into this game that he is the starting quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I don't think he's given it back anytime soon. And I do believe that Hamilton will find a way to get the win in this game. And it just feels like they're getting onto a roll now where they're not necessarily the team we thought they were going to be. They look different. Speedy's not the focal point. Braylon Addison's not making all the plays. Don Jackson isn't the primary ball carrier. But they're finding a way, and Tommy Condell is massaging the offense with, uh, who the hell's Tim White? Okay, the, now we got Sean Thomas Erlington being the lead back again. Okay, well, the tackles, I don't, who's that Jordan Murray guy? And KO Kofor still in the game. It's like they're kind of figuring it out on the fly, but they're starting to get the wheels turning. They're starting to build some momentum. So in terms of a scoreline on this one, I think if Hamilton's going to win, I think they have to score in the high 20s, low 30s minimum, because I do think Toronto's going to put up 20, 25 points. I think they'll score more than they did in that Labor Day game. So I'll say something like, uh, you know, 35 to 26 or something like that because I, I think that Toronto will score but Hamilton will find a way all right well one of us this is this is new for us Marshall one of us is going to be right this week so uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's an exciting thing to look forward to we'll have to see who it is Marshall thanks again for joining us today you've been awesome with your time we said we would go short today and we've ended up you know again putting together an entire morning show but uh, I always appreciate having you on here yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Ben. And it uh, it never feels long when we're talking about football. So I think that's why we end up going long. But I appreciate it. And I hope that everybody has a great time. If you're going down to the game Friday night at BMO, enjoy yourselves. Be loud, whether you're a Hamilton fan, Toronto fan, whatever. Uh, it was an electric environment in week three when Ben and I were both there. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing the rivalry, hopefully long term, between Arbuckle and Evans continue to develop. The first chapter was fun. We get a second. Later this year, we get a third. Then we get a fourth. We're probably going to get a fifth in the playoffs. I mean, these two teams are going to, you're going to know them real well by the time that we hit November, December, but this is just another one to enjoy. And hey, it's supposed to be beautiful weather as well. So that can't hurt. That'll just about do it for us on the X's and Argos scattering report for Marshall Ferguson. My name is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.